everybody. It's time for my weekly podcast. I'm Father Roderick, and we have a ton of stuff to talk about. Of course, I'm still shaking after having seen the latest episode of The Book of Boba Fett, which was out of this world. Best Star Wars I've seen since The Return of the Jedi. But there, of course, there's much more to talk about in this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I want to welcome new patrons to the community. We've got Paul, Bartholomew, uh, David, Mary, Simon, Yella, Alejandro, and the Star Wars Report, and Father Kirill, who all signed up as new patrons to support my work with their monthly micro-donations. I cannot be more excited to welcome you to the community. As you know, patrons also literally join the community because we have a Discord server where it is... Um, getting more crowded and more fun every day. That's where we talk also about Star Wars and lots of other stuff. I, that's where I post also a lot of behind-the-scenes information. Um, like I've got a diary of the work that I do and giving you some, some insights in my workflow. So there's a, there's a lot to discover on Discord. Plus, you also get access to a, a personalized podcast feed with four weekly podcasts that are not available anywhere else. Anyway, enough uh, promo for for the Patreon community. You can go to patreon.com slash fatherrodrick to sign up. And then Anthony and Joe have upped their monthly amount or their monthly contribution to get to the $10 level, which gives you early access to the documentaries that I'm making this year. And I couldn't be more excited because the first documentary went live the other day. It is called The Secret of Iona. And this is a story about a tiny little remote island on the west coast of Scotland. And you have to actually take two ferries in order to get there. You first have to go uh, all across the island of Mull, which is mostly inhabited. It's, it's, uh, it's very, very rural, and, and, and really, we're, we're in the highlands of Scotland. There. It's gorgeous, absolutely stunning landscapes. And then you take a smaller ferry to get to this little island, which has a very ancient history that not much people know about. There used to be Celtic monks in, in the... In, this is early medieval times, so this is like 1,500 years ago. And you can still find their traces. There's an abbey there that, that was built on the foundations of these early settlements of the monks. So it's a little bit like, you know, the ancient Jedi temple, uh, which actually when they filmed that on this, I think it was an Irish island, the, 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 the kind of like dome-shaped buildings that you see in the background, those are actually the remains of these old uh, medieval set or early medieval settlements of these monks and hermits. So probably on the island of Iona, it was kind of similar, uh, very, very simple. So I went there to um, discover the story of these monks and uh, what what is so fascinating is that they didn't stay there in the in the in the abbey, but they just went by boat and you have to consider this is like really in the early days of Christianity. so, with oftentimes in, in very dangerous circumstances, they travel to mainland Europe and they just started communities everywhere. And a lot of the, uh, let's say, the Christianity that we currently still have in our culture was started with these, these missionary monks. So it's a fascinating story. Um, and that documentary, yeah, I'm really proud of what we did. As you may know, I've, I've been working for a Dutch television for 15 years. So I've been making... Dutch TV programs in Dutch, which is unfortunately not the main language that many people speak in the world. Um, and uh, just this year, I started to, uh, to to 
port that work to an international audience and making these documentaries in English. And this is the first one of a series of hopefully 12. Every month I want to produce one of those documentaries. And um, as you can imagine, making a documentary is a little bit more expensive than, than creating a podcast, which just involves me sitting in front of a camera and a microphone and, and talk. Um, uh, a documentary takes weeks to film, to 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 prepare, and also to edit. Um, so for us, it's a it's a pretty big learning curve to figure out how to do this and how to deliver every month a new documentary, which is kind of unheard of. Most people <laughs> take much more time for a documentary uh, of of the kind of um, quality that we want to deliver, but. We are, we've challenged ourselves to to uh, just to get better and better. And one of my goals in terms of quality, I'm not sure if it's going to be feasible, but what I would like to do is to make documentaries on the level of what you normally see on Netflix. But, of course, with a tiny budget compared to um uh, to to what most of these Netflix documentaries have to their uh, have available to them so for that the for this project for these documentaries um I I really depend on the patrons and on their support financial support so in in a certain way um, these higher tier patrons are kind of co-producers literally because they help me produce these documentaries and so i think it's only fair that they get to see them first so uh, thank you so much if you are one of them and if you want to become one and you have the financial ability of course to do that because not everyone has these this financial margin uh, in order to support uh, people like me and the work that i do but if you can then your help is is tremendous and can help us to make this year Maybe the best year ever when it comes to, you know, video production. All right, that's enough for uh, this moment. So you know let's take a look on? at the world. This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So I don't know uh, about your part of the world, but over here it is <laughs> still winter weather. It's cold. It's storming. Uh, there's a lot of rain. This is usually for me the worst time to be in the Netherlands because it is just not pleasant outside, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to springtime and also for the work that I do, especially the video work. But also podcasting. I, I record a weekly show where I walk outside, and the other day it was just raining and windy, and it was just, everything was muddy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to sunny times. I've already booked a vacation, by the way. With I, every year I go on vaca vacation with three other priests. We know each other from our study time in Rome, um, and we travel to various parts of Europe. And actually, a lot of the the documentaries that I made for Dutch TV were filmed during those vacations because I was like, okay, I'm here and it's beautiful and I, I, I discover a lot of, uh, of, of places and uh, we do like walking in the mountains and stuff. There's so much visual um, uh, material here. The only thing I need to do is to bring my camera with me and, and also try to film without annoying my friends who are sometimes completely fed up by the fact that I'm 
choosing my vacation for work. But I, I've never regretted it. And it's also a way for me to document kind of these vacations, which normally you, you document just by posting some photos on Instagram, right? But having footage and, and telling the story of the places where I am, it helps me also to enjoy the my vacation much more because I do research. And so when you enter a place and you've already read up about it and you you explain uh, what you've learned to the camera and to future viewers, um, that is a, that's a fantastic way to learn. Um, in fact, uh, it is known, uh, scientifically proven, that the best way to learn is not just by reading something and try to memorize it, but the best way for that information to stick is to explain it to someone else. And so that is one of the reasons that I love doing this uh, on vacation. This year we're going to um, <coughs> the area of uh, Florence and Siena, which is one of my favorite places in, in, in Italy. Uh, beautiful landscape, uh, fascinating history, beautiful architecture, cities. There's so much to enjoy there. And I've, I've been there once before, and this was the year before I was sent to Rome, I've studied um, media and social communications in Rome for two years. And the year before that, or actually the summer before I went to Rome, I decided to go on my own, all by myself, by car, to Italy. I didn't speak that much Italian at the time. I was doing a, like a crash course in Italian, but uh, I figured, well, I might as well just go to Italy and, and try to <laughs> train myself a little bit more in Italian so that once the studies begin at the university i will have a little bit of you know advanced experience in 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 speaking Itali italian and also to just get to know the country i'd never been in italy before so i took my car and drove first to the the como lake and you have some beautiful lakes there in the north went to venice uh visited um uh what was that other town where you've got this Colosseum that is still in, intact um the but, well, anyway, name escapes me. Um, and and I, I, I will always remember that one of my first, the first places that I visited was actually a shooting location for the prequels, for the Star Wars prequels. There's this uh, this beautiful lake where you have a, a, a Renaissance, I think, lake house that was used for um, to film the scenes with, on Naboo. Of course, it was Italy, but Naboo is very much Italian-inspired, uh, of, the, of the romance between Anakin and Padme. So you have that scene where they are overlooking the lake and Anakin tells Padme that, you know, he loves her. And, and, and I think there's even the wedding takes place there. They all filmed that in only two days. And, um, and I wanted to visit the, the premises. And so I got to speak with uh, some of the people that were actually bound to secrecy. Um, and so I, I couldn't, at, because at the time these prequels were still, I think the third prequel wasn't even finished. Um, so th there was, a, there was a lot of secrecy around those Star Wars movies, but they did kind of off camera told me a lot of, of uh, juicy details on how they went about filming that. And it was so, I was like totally giddy, like oh, almost no Star Wars fan has been here. And I get to hear all these firsthand accounts of how they filmed stuff. You remember the, the, the wacky scene that they filmed in the meadows where you have these big blobby animals that Anakin is riding at one point. It's one of the worst <laughs> moments in the second prequel. But anyway, I also even uh, kind of climbed over a fence 
it was prohibited to go there but to in order to get to that specific field where they filmed at there was nothing to see of course um but I remember inquiring and asking around, and I found, found this old guy who told me, oh, yeah, I remember that they were filming some some movie or these Americans were here and they went there, but you cannot go there because it's, you know, it's actually a private property. And I was like, okay, what do you mean private property? I'm a Star Wars fan. I just need to go and kiss the ground there. <laughs> so it's fascinating. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you the entire story. but uh, And then I traveled um, to Florence and... I think I, I was, yeah, I was camping. I just had a tent there. So I was very mobile. I visited Siena. But since that time, I've never been back. And I did film um, my journey. And now that I think of it, I used this old Digital 8 camera, which back then was super modern. But nowadays, it's like the, the resolution is horrible. Everything, that was early digital technology for filming. And so... Um, the quality is is really terrible. Plus, I look so dorky on camera. I had no experience in television, of course. Uh, and this was even before I did my media training and I specialized in television production in Rome. But this was before that. But I wanted to kind of also just film this and tell the story of my journey through Italy. So I'm talking to the camera, but... Well, now I'm so used to it because I've been doing this for 15 years. So I, I have a camera in front of me and I don't even notice that I'm talking into a, basically a black hole. Of course, I cannot see you uh, just as much as I can't see you when I'm recording just audio. But I'm so used to looking at the camera as if I'm looking to a person. But I remember that when I was filming this this journey, I I just it was felt so awkward to look at a camera. This was actually way before you know selfies and and mobile phones that had a camera on the front. So nobody was used to talking to basically a just a device and i can i can tell that i oh, i have a hard time just looking at myself talking to the camera because my my eyes are dead i'm like i know that i have to look into the camera but there is no there is no connection there i'm, I'm just as if i'm just looking to a blank wall which basically felt like that and and so but the i am very glad that i did film uh, the places that I visited, because now, of course, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like prehistoric times in my in my media journey. And maybe one day I can still take that footage. And now that I am very good at you know editing, color correction, I can still maybe tell that story. That might that might that might actually be a fun project. And I I remember that I was doing voiceovers for that project. Uh, just by talking over, you know, while I was filming, I, there was a microphone on top of the of the camera, and I was doing basically what later on we would do with Snapchat, you know, where you could only film like five seconds, and so if you wanted to tell a story, you had to record your own voice, doing a voiceover, while you were pushing the record button, and so I that, this is how I told the entire story of my trip through Italy, just by talking over, in Dutch, talking over. <laughs> The, the footage or the the well the 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 recordings that I was taking and of course oh man now I I so regret doing that because I don't have any original audio anymore because I'm constantly blabbing about in in in, in Dutch while I'm filming but I have to say even though the the quality of the image is is terrible I think I still think it's possible to kind of maybe even take what is actually a bug and make turn it into a, a, a feature by 
creating, I, I don't know. There are ways in which I can reuse that, some of that material. And I, I think it would be fun to tell the story of that, of that trip through Italy, because it's also a, a very important time in my life when I, that, those two years that I spent in Rome changed everything in my life. I wouldn't be talking to you. You would be looking at me on YouTube or, or watching my, my, my Star Wars videos if I hadn't gone to Italy. That's where I discovered my love for media and for television production and audio and, and journalism and whatnot. I learned so much in two years. I learned way more than I learned in the 10 years that I studied at the universities in philosophy and theology, at least when it comes to applicable knowledge. I mean, it's, it's, it's of, of course, very important to study philosophy and theology and to be able to explain the faith, etc. But th th what I learned in just two years in, in, in Rome is now my day-to-day -day work. From, from, from the moment I rise to the moment I go to bed, I'm using the experience that I started to, to acquire um, in, in Italy. And so that trip is, was kind of the, the moment where my life was about to change. Um, so maybe I will tell that story. Uh, anyway, I have to ask my patrons because they, they, they pay me to do this. I'm not sure if they're interested because the, well... As I said, the image quality is not that good. Anyway, th that's... Um, why am I telling this? I don't know. It's just... I'm so excited that this is going to be the year of the documentaries. And, of course, there, there are some problems, some issues, because of uh, the Omicron var variant, that we have more infections than we've ever had in the Netherlands right now. The other day, there were 100,000 infections on one day, which is insane. We, we have such a tiny country. We've got 70 million people living here. So, um, and um, everybody I know has been infected or is currently infected, like my sister's family, all the kids have it, my sister has it right now, uh, only my, uh, my brother-in-law is still corona-free, but may just be a matter of time, I don't know, and so I heard that my brother and his family have had it, um, but they all get the milder variant. It's, of course, it's still not fun at all. It's definitely worse than, than getting the flu. But, uh, and, and of course, there's always the risk that you will develop long COVID, um, which vaccination apparently does counteract a little bit, but it's still a risk, especially if you've got these high numbers. You also have a certain percentage of people that will have long COVID uh, problems like I had uh, last year for well, at least half of, of, of last year. So I'm hoping that that, you know, that most people will, will skip that. Um, so even though it is milder than the Delta variant that I've had, which was, pff, I've never been so sick before, um, it's still serious enough for countries here in Europe, at least, to be very careful with travel. And so um, it's... You know, it's not easy to, to travel to, for instance, I would love to go to France for a documentary series. I would love to go back to Spain and film along the itinerary of the Camino. But those countries are still kind of difficult to get into. Plus, you want to be safe as well. You, you want to be able to keep your distance. And so in terms of booking rooms and, you know, interviewing people, it's, it's still a bit of a hassle. So I don't think that I'm going to travel... Um, very far this this first quarter of the year, I may actually come up with an idea to film in my own country because that's you know it's much easier to produce something. But I want to find something that's also visually interesting, um, and and uh, the story comes first. 
So I'll keep you up to up to speed. Of course, if you are a patron, then you get almost daily updates on on uh, how I'm proceeding. Let's take a look at the world of movies and TV shows. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. Yesterday, I felt a great disturbance in the vo- in the force. It was as if millions and millions of Star Wars fans suddenly cried out in excitement and joy and energy, and then got very silent because they were processing all these emotions. And I was one of them, actually. Um, the Book of Boba Fett is currently uh, on Disney Plus, and as you know, it is uh, it's it's a story of. Boba Fett in his later years, you know, he's more advanced in age, he has escaped the Sarlacc pit, and now he is um, trying to be a good leader on Tatooine. Um, What nobody expected was that we would get so much more backstory in this series. Don't worry, I'm going to stay spoiler-free. So we get to see a few other characters that we know from different series, even from animated series, that make an appearance here as well as some characters from the original trilogy in a, in a, in a way that is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, this, this series is not just, I think, extremely good quality-wise when it comes to storytelling and character development. Um, and you can tell that Lucasfilm is learning. They, 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 I think they really learned from the sequels. And, of course, not every fan... Uh, Star Wars fan is a fan of those sequel movies. I personally really like them, but I also see their flaws. But I think what what I like is that this these movies were the first tries of Disney to kind of come to terms with this Star Wars universe that George Lucas created without George Lucas being involved. And so they they needed to develop a grip on on this world and on how to tell the best stories in them. And I think every project that they do is giving them new information. Also, how we react as fans. Of course, they, they monitor that. It has given them a lot of, of uh, uh, experience when it comes to how, well, what is the best story that we can tell, what is going to um, to please the fans. Because, of, obviously, Disney is a business. They need to make money. So we count. how It's not just an artistic endeavor where you know, we'll just do whatever we, we want. In a certain way, George Lucas could do that. He could just... He didn't give anything for what we thought. He just made the movies that he wanted to make. For better or worse, um, there were many things that he was able to do because he didn't depend on our money to uh, to make those movies. On the other hand, I think a bit of fan feedback would have prevented some uh, less fortunate um, things. <coughs> jar Jar. <coughs> uh, so, uh, and I think that... the, the in a way, George Lucas also evolved and, and learned as he went, and so is Disney. And I think that we're now at a point where I, I think they totally get it. That Star Wars is back in full force in Boba Fett. The series is showing it and what they did technologically, because it's not just storytelling, but they also are trying out new technology. For instance, the most of the sets that you see are a combination of physical props and then on-location projection screens. They use very advanced 3D technology uh, and software 
it, you know, so that the camera, when the camera moves around, the background changes as well, and you get all the reflections on the actors themselves, and it, it you know, it's so much better than working with green screen or blue screen. They may still do that for certain, you know, certain scenes that are impossible to do with just LED screens. But it it also saves a ton of money because you can just film there, and when and everything is in camera. So you don't have to do all the very expensive post-production. That can stay actually quite quite cheap and, 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 and fast. And of course, the turnover with these TV episodes and everything that Disney is producing um, is very fast. So they need to stay you know, on schedule and on budget. So, but what they did in this last episode of The Book of Boba Fett, I think was, was, was spectacular. It's maybe the most groundbreaking thing that Lucasfilm has done since the introduction of Jar Jar. And <laughs> I'm talking about the techno technological aspect of Jar Jar, having the, one of the main characters be completely digital. And yes, there was, of course, Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar, did the voice, and also acted. But they, they rehearsed the scenes with the actor present, and then they filmed everything without him. And so most of the actors had to kind of act against thin air and then they they used technology at well, back then super advanced technology to to put jar jar in the scene and that was nobody had ever tried something like that before there were some experiments of course adding digital characters most of them were more like cartoonish characters but definitely not you know characters that were supposed to carry the story and what they did now in this latest episode is in a certain way similar to what they did with Jar Jar but it is it is a, the quality is is just scary <laughs> it's unbelievable what they did visually but also the voice um, I cannot talk about this more uh, specifically because then I would give away what what this episode does but I would say this is a unique selling point for Disney plus this is something that I haven't seen any of the other streaming platforms do no matter how much i admire what they did quality wise with the game of thrones or what netflix is doing with the you know korean series like a squid game and what um uh, amazon is doing with the wheel of time and later this year uh with uh, the uh, the the rings of power of the lord of the rings series um all of that is still kind of conventional filmmaking with a lot of green screen, a lot of CGI. But what Lucasfilm did here with the Book of Boba Fett is revolutionizing what is possible to do. Anyway, I'd love to talk more about this, but you'll have to take a look at my YouTube channel, maybe subscribe. That's where I do my also my spoiler-filled assessments of these, of these episodes, and I share my enthusiasm with fans worldwide. But suffice it to say that I am, as a fan super excited that star wars is doing better than ever and and this is just the beginning uh, you know it hasn't been that long since disney took over and if they can bring this kind of storytelling and this quality to the big screen mm, it and obviously i think they need to do that you cannot just continue star wars just with television shows no matter how much i love that format there is something about you know these theatrical releases that i think star wars needs it's also event an event that that you can't have when you're sitting in front of your computer or a television 
But I think if they can bring this kind of quality to the theater, this may easily surpass what they're doing with Marvel. And I think we have great times ahead. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about here briefly on the show is um, a totally different genre. Um, but it is a movie that touched me profoundly and that I enjoy tremendously. It is the new Steven Spielberg version of The West Side Story, which is a movie that was um, very successful in the, uh, during the time that I was just born, kind of in the 70s. Um, it was uh, a, a, a musical originally, a Broadway musical, uh, composed by the legendary Leonard Bernstein, um, who is a, an amazing composer. And it tells a story about uh, a neighborhood in New York where most people live in poverty and where there are huge racial tensions because of that poverty or as a result of that poverty. And so you've got the Puerto Ricans versus the uh, Irish immigrants, and there is a lot of strive and a lot of um, uh, racism happening, and it goes both ways. The aggression goes both ways. It's just people unable to live together because, well, they, they feel that they have to fight to survive. And the musical itself is a, is a wonderful story that, that, that illustrates that by making it very personal. And it's actually... Uh, maybe another iteration of the, the Romeo and Juliet kind of tragedy. And the original movie uh, was um, was a movie that I remember my parents talked about uh, because they saw it when they were young and in love. And uh, for, for them, it uh, made it it's actually one of the few movies I think that my dad went to see in the theater. My father really hated movies. He never never watched TV, uh, only only news. Um, so the fact that he actually went to see that movie with my, my mom, that, that was, um, quite a compliment for the movie. And I remember that it once, and this is when I was still probably 12 years old, um, the movie was going to be on Dutch TV. This was way before we even had like, video recorders and stuff. So you had to actually, we had two channels on Dutch TV or maybe at the time only one channel. And so if there was a movie on TV, that was an event. The entire country would watch that movie. And I remember that my, my mom was all uh, excited that, that it was going to be West Side Story. And uh, so we, I remember that we, I watched that movie maybe just with my mom and my brother. I don't remember exactly the circumstances. My father probably skipped it like he normally did. Never, never liked to sit for more than an hour in front of a TV. Uh, but I do remember that the movie made such a huge impression. I was crying at the end. It was I did not know the story uh, in advance, and and I love the songs. I love the dancing, the choreography, um, and I would probably watch this on a tiny little TV. But it made a huge impact. It was black and white. At least the 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 TV that we had was black and white. But it had a huge impact. It had so much of an impact that I actually bought the record. So the, the really the gramophone record of the of the, the the music of the soundtrack, and I played it day and night, and 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 I all those songs I knew them by heart. Um, back then, of course, my English was still kind of what I learned in in high school, so I didn't really understand all the words or the lyrics, but I loved the melodies and what I what I was very sensitive to at that time. You know, I was 12, 13 maybe, and. 
That's that's also the time that you fall in love with every girl you see, and and so this this movie for me was also kind of like uh, a, a way for me to express my my infatuation, and uh, I would sing these songs and, and feeling all the feelings that that song was supposed to evoke. So I've got very fond memories of that. Yes, actually, that's part of my life, you know, uh, and and so. Uh, um, I associate the, these 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 songs also with these very strong feelings that you have as a, as a uh, as a teenager, and uh, and also kind of this tragic the, the tragic ending to the story had way more of an impact on me because I was so young and and I was like, well, why can't this just end well? Where's the happy end? I was used to movies with happy endings, and I love movies with happy endings. I didn't like tragedies, <laughs> and so. Um, it's it's always been one of my favorite movies and and uh, and musicals. And you may not know this, but I'm a huge musical fan. I I listen to songs from musicals day and night. <laughs> I sing them here in the house. I'm so glad that I'm the only inhabitant of this house. I can just sing wherever I am. I sing all day long, actually. And if I don't sing, I hum. And if I don't hum, I whistle. So I'm always making noise. Maybe that's why I'm a podcaster. But anyway. So uh, I was so excited to hear that that um, you know one of one of the best directors in the world, Steven Spielberg, was going to make an, a, a modern version of this, while actually already vowing to stay kind of very faithful to the original intent. So this wasn't going to be like a oh it's happening in uh, in New York in 2020 or something like that, and we're just going to change the entire story. No, they wanted this to be very very much like the existing movie but then better and so uh what i appreciated was that they wanted to have real puerto rican or uh, latin american actors and singers to perform in those roles and so they they really wanted to because in the original movie they just hired basically former europeans and american north american people uh and, and that had to play a, a, a kind of puerto rican characters at least for the main roles and and so they all wanted to to do that much better, um, and well anyway, just to give you a summary of my experiences at the theater. I was the only person in the movie theater that morning, and that was because, of course, the movie was already delayed for more than a year. I think because of COVID, when it finally came out, that w- around that time we went in lockdown, so almost no one had seen that movie, and I think kind of the hype was over. There are other stories other movies that people now want to see especially spider-man of course and so i was the only person there but oh my gosh did i have a great time and towards the end that hit me like a ton of bricks the ending the way they 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 told the ending in this version was masterful and i still get choked up when i talk about it 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 just hit me and so i was crying (laughs) i was sitting there in the dark by myself, and I was so happy that I was the only person in the theater because I was crying, and 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 it did it did so much to me because of course also because of this kind of attachment to this movie and it was so much part of my my it's so much part of of my younger my, my memories of my younger years of of my time in high school, and so um, I guess if you've never seen the original movie or you 
might still enjoy it. I think you're still enjoy, uh, going to enjoy it because it's it's incredibly well done. It's beautifully filmed. Choreography is out of this world. The singing is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. Um, it is in many ways um, a, a huge improvement over the original, which I already enjoyed so much. Um, so it's a masterpiece. I think since La La Land, this is definitely um, my favorite movie musical and and in a certain in certain ways i actually think that this is even better than la la land la la land was original that's what i applaud them but the dancing the singing um the quality of the music i mean i love la la land and the and the songs but it's still it's not the kind of classical super hit that leonard bernstein wrote um that the music is so incredibly well well written and and also what what i loved about this movie is that i the, the lyrics just fit the action on the screen so much better. And and you start to... Some of the lyrics really, for the first time, hit me like, oh my gosh, this is what's actually happening in this song. And and uh, wow, what an achievement and what a great movie and definitely one one that I want to have on, on Blu-ray uh, because it's a keeper. And yes, I also would like to have a karaoke version, pretty please, so I can sing along. <laughs> But it was it was fantastic. All right, let's visit the peculiar bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock. Here at the peculiar bunch, we uh, always like to talk about stuff that Catholics do, but you may not really understand. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about um, a discussion that's been going on on Discord, or an exchange of ideas, um, which I think touches upon something very fundamental in faith. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. If you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, uh, you know that that faith is a multicolored thing in a certain way. Uh, even if you are a Catholic, it doesn't mean that you believe the same things as any other Catholic. Maybe you should, but <laughs> there are so many different points of view, so many different ways to experience and to express faith. And especially in my in my league of work i meet so many different people from all over the world and a lot of the star wars fans that are following me on youtube most people have never seen a priest let alone like watch a video of a priest talking about star wars and i get every week almost on a daily basis i get reactions from people that tell me i never thought that i would watch a priest talk about star wars and or a lot of people that say hey if only you had been the priest in my parish when i was a kid maybe i would still go to church and that has made me very sensitive to um, also the journey that people make. Because I've also seen people uh, gradually change over time, change their views, change their, their, um, their ideas, um, learning, discovering, which is also my journey. Uh, when I was in high school, I knew nothing about faith. I had my upbringing, of course, and then I had kind of the stereotypical conceptions about what faith was about and and it's only when i was about six 17 years 18 years old that i started to discover this this whole depth of the catholic tradition and how things kind of how it made sense and uh, and that's why i wanted to become a priest and study philosophy and theology 
And so the more I learn, the more questions I have, and the more I know that I know nothing. And I'm not the only one to say that. One of the greatest theologians of, of the Catholic tradition, uh, Thomas Aquinas, actually, was very well aware that even though he was considered, even in his, during his lifetime, to be one of the greatest thinkers of his time, if not of history, he always emphasized, especially in the later part of his life, at one point he, he got very seriously ill, he was on the verge of dying, and I think he got this kind of vision or experience, and after that he, he told his students, you know, I realized that everything I've written is just, it's nothing, you know, it's just uh, a bit of straw blowing in the wind, something like that. And, and so because the, what I've seen, what I've experienced is so much bigger than what I could ever describe or even, you know, reason about. Because faith, that's a misconception that people often have. Faith is not unreasonable. It's not, it's not uh, uh, you cannot prove that what you believe in in the same way as you can prove, for instance, the fact that the earth is round. Um, because it's a metaphysical dimension of our life and not a physical dimension of our life. But it doesn't mean that you cannot think about it and that there isn't a certain internal logic to it and that there are reasons to believe. And so my, my whole life I've been fascinated by just studying this faith and where does it come from and how does it relate. And that in itself for me has been a, a process of conversion where as a, an 18-year-old boy, for me, the world was black and white. And I talked about this in one of my recent episodes of The Walk. I don't think that most of you probably would have a very strong dislike of me at the age of eight. When I was, if I would still have the ideas that I had when I was 18 years old. I was like, it's us versus them. And it's like, oh, why don't people just believe everything? And, I, and over time, I've discovered, well, but even in history, people have been constantly journeying in faith and discovering. And, and faith itself has been unfolding throughout history. That is what the Catholic tradition is, actually. It's not just like this whole block of, 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 of statements that you need to adhere to. No, the Catholic tradition is something that is alive, that we're constantly discovering new aspects of the foundations of our faith, that, of course, the foundation is Jesus himself and what he said. And, but but the, the interpretation of that and, and seeing how that relates to our current day and life, our personal choices, that is something that constantly evolves as we evolve. And so... Um, it's, for me, it's always super important to acknowledge, first of all, that I myself has, have gone through that journey and, and that I'm still on that journey. And that I, there's way more that I don't understand than what I think I understand. And even probably the things that I say I understand, um, I probably don't really grasp it because faith is ultimately something that is transcendent. It, it is bigger than what my little brain can comprehend. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. There are so many things in my life that are incomprehensible that I cannot truly... Why, why do I love Star Wars so much? I can point you to certain aspects of Star Wars that work for me, but there is this, there's this something that is bigger than even than Star Wars itself or than its creators. It's, it's, there are certain values and themes in Star Wars that are transcendent. To the to the genre and, and to the to the movies and um, why is that last episode of Boba Fett, uh, the Book of Boba Fett, hitting us so much and 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 and, and making everybody feel like an, an eight year old child again? It's because what that story does is actually transcending 
the story. It's it's something much, much deeper. That's why it's resonating so much. It's kind of akin to the Force. You cannot, pr- in, star, in the Star Wars universe, right? You cannot say, this is the Force. This is how it works. Um, and that is why, you know, Han Solo, when he hears um, uh, Finn say, oh, we can just use the Force to infiltrate uh, whatever, uh, the New Order, Han Solo is like, but that's not how the Force works. How it works, he can't explain. But he has this, this sense that, no, the Force is way bigger than what you, you, you just use it as a tool. And so <clears throat> that is my, um, that has really, I think, formed my attitude towards other people and the way they look at the world and they look at faith. And I think in a, especially today, in this very polarized world where we so easily jump to conclusions about someone else, and we have all created these fortresses and we're combating each other in social media. That is a cultural phenomenon that you see everywhere in the world. I personally think it is due to the fact that our world is changing so much and so people seek safety. And safety can be found within your own little group, your own bubble. And the way in which people combat their fear for change is by building a wall around their bubble. I mean, I'm not telling you anything new. This is what hap- what's ha- been happening in politics, in world news, and, and it's kind of the same in most Western countries. I say Western countries because those cultures are changing the most right now. Um, uh, and, and, and so this, this idea that it's my faith versus your opinions, you are wrong and I am right, this has also seeped into the Catholic Church and maybe also in other Christian churches. Um, and it's this, it can create this attitude of, of ultimately, I think, fear, uh, reluctance to, to engage with other people that you suspect don't think like you and don't live the life that you live. And then what often happens is also that in, sin, in, if we step into that bubble, we also feel that our, we need to conform to its internal rules. That's how you stay part of the pack. You know, if you're a Mandalorian, you got to abide with the rules. You cannot take your helmet off. But sometimes you feel that, well, I still need to take the helmet off because I want to see, you know, I want to be eye to eye with Grogu because we're going to say goodbye. Um, right? That's why Din Djarin breaks the rules of his faith. Because there is a deeper value that compels him to do so, and then he's expelled. He's basically excommunicated. And he could have also lied about that. He could also say, well, no, I never took my helmet off. And since I'm currently wearing the helmet, you can't even tell that I'm lying. Uh, But he chose to be just real, to be authentic. Yes, I broke the rules and the consequences are for me. But what you often see, especially I would say in, in these faith circles or bubbles, is that people, they are scared to not conform to the rules or to maybe not believe everything. And, but they, they mask that by projecting to the outside world a certain image of themselves. And they, they hide their own flaws. Uh, they want the world to believe that they are perfect, saints, faithful, devout. And they will even call themselves sinners because that's part of the rules. You know, you have to always be humble. But the humility itself is also a bit of pride. You know, look at me. I'm so humble. I really, I'm, normally I don't talk about it, but I can tell you because, 
you know, I'm, you're humble like me, but oh my gosh, if you know how humble I was, you wouldn't believe it. I, honestly, I think, I think you would probably ask your local pastor to, to, uh, to buy a statue of me because honestly, and then of course I wouldn't be, I, I would be way too humble for that statue. So you have to order it, but you know, I'm so humble. It's all and, and I'm doing that too, and I've been doing that for a long time. We do that every time we post something on social media. We show our glamorous side. We show, like, how many times have you taken a selfie of yourself, and then you look back, and you're just like, oh, I look like a dork there. Let me take that again. Oh, my gosh, I'm not, how do I, how can I do a natural smile? And then 10 photos later, like, oh, that's me. No, that's not you. That is who you project yourself to be. And we do that with faith as well. The problem with that is, and everybody does it, I'm not you know, pointing at certain people, the problem is that that can also close the door to, to other people um, because you feel maybe the need to affirm yourself and, and, and tell people, but this is what you should believe. This is what I want to believe. I, we don't say want, but we mean, we actually want to say, this is what I want to believe. I don't know. I'm also scared. I'm also insecure. I also have my doubts, but I'm not going to show you because ugh, I need to be an example for you. And you need to look at me so you know how you should be. That kind of attitude... And that goes both ways. I'm not talking about orthodox versus heterodox or progressive versus conservative. It's, a, it's the mindset. There's also an, an alternative. And I'm talking about this because I saw some, some discussion in, on Discord where, you know, some people said, well, hey, I'm, I, I just don't know about mass and church. I don't like to go to church. It's always so boring. But I... I, I do. I think I believe and I, I want to see God everywhere or in nature or whatever. And then other people are like, but, but, but God is in, you have to go to mass. You have to, you know, be faithful. You have to believe what the Catholic Church believes. This is, this is what it's supposed to be. And they get that interesting exchange. And it's done very respectfully. I have to commend people in the, in, on Discord. I think it's also showing the kind of climate that we really want to make to preserve on Discord. This is not about fights. It's not about, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. No, we're together on this journey. And and I may be walking this way and you may be walking that way. And ultimately, of course, we hope to all come together. But that's not up to me. I cannot choose your journey through life. I can I can of course testify what I love about my journey, and, and I can share with you my discoveries. That's what I do in this, in this segment. I'm just sharing with you, but I'm not telling you to, you, you have to be like me, and otherwise, why are you listening to this podcast? You, you dirty pagan. No, you just go on your knees and pray a rosary, and then we'll talk. Yes? Go pause that podcast right now. I don't know why I do that accent, but anyway. So, <laughs> I, just as, I much, as much as I love to, to share my love for Star Wars, I love to share the love that I have for the faith that I've been given in a certain way and that I'm still discovering. And I, but I also share with you my doubts and my fears. And maybe I'm not even sharing like my, my deepest doubts and fears because there's also something in me that tells me, well, you're a priest, you're supposed to be an example. And, but I try to be as authentic and, and honest as possible and also to, to step away from my own fear to be vulnerable and to show other people that I'm not perfect. And I think that is actually why, um, why you become relatable. It is when the other person discovers, hey, even though that person goes to church every week, 
still very much like me. And the other person that goes to church each week may look at someone else who doesn't have that same background or is, is not ready for that or maybe has gone. And that's also something that we always have to keep in mind. People have had maybe totally different experiences. For you, Mass, the, the church, a priest, liturgy, frankincense, uh, Gregorian chant, that may all be linked to very deep moments of joy and happiness and feeling safe, just like I have connected so many of my own feelings and emotions to the, the songs and music of, of, of uh, uh, the West Side Story. But someone else may have a totally different upbringing, may have had terrible experiences in church. Or very awful, boring liturgy that's not engaging, or a priest that is a jerk. And yeah, that happens all the time. And so there are so many reasons for people to maybe do take a detour and avoid certain things because it's too painful, or it's just they haven't discovered why you know that would add something to their lives. What I want to say in this kind of summarizing this segment is instead of, of, of trying to convert other people, and, and we tell ourselves sometimes that evangelization, that's converting other people. No. No. Evangelization, if you look at Christ in the gospel, is witnessing. It's sharing. It's not, you know, you are wrong and I'm right and you should be like me. No. Go and evangelize. Tell people the good message baptize them but of course never forced if they want to be there for them go to the sick go to the poor jesus says it if you help one of these little ones that's me that you're helping uh, you know it's it's all about being authentic in all dimensions of life and trying to be a follower of christ and acknowledge that you are just a follower you're not christ himself you're not perfect you also learn to walk in the footsteps of Christ by falling and getting up again. A certain Jedi said that once to a certain pupil. It's all about getting up. You always have to get up. And that's, that's if you acknowledge that that has been your journey, then I hope that you can also look at other people's journey with, I would say, with curiosity. Why are you so happy with your the choices that you make why why do you make those choices what can i learn from you what is what is um what are the values in your life what makes you happy what what instead of saying well but you don't that's not according to the rules that not that you're not supposed to think like that you call yourself a catholic shame on you i would say part of being a catholic part of being a christian is to avoid that attitude of self-righteousness, which is like the total opposite of a, of of, a, of something that isn't attractive. If you want to scare people away from faith, that's your attitude, you know? You, you're a pagan. You're a lousy sinner. Uh, you're not like me. Uh, th- that has never converted one single person. Instead, be curious. Always put the other person first. Well, tell me, tell me a bit more. How do you look at God? How do you experience that? Um, why have you so much aversion to, you know, the, the current liturgy in the church? And th- that can also go both ways. You know, it's the same attitude versus people that are very much, you know, like, oh, it's a Tridentine Latin rite or nothing, you know? Yeah, you can say, uh, 
that's not my kind of like I I don't want to be Catholic like that. But you can also ask yourself, so why is it that people are so strongly opinionate, opinionated about that? Listening to someone else and, and being curious has never made you poorer. It will only enrich you. You can still make your own choices. That other person is not a threat because you are in charge of your life. But curiosity, trying to discover, so what's, what's motivating this person? That is, I think, what enriches us. That This is what we should learn, especially in these times in, in the Catholic Church where we, we've lost touch with so many people in our society. And you can, you can react to that by, but we are right, and society is wrong, and there are enemies, and we need to fight these cultural wars to get the upper hand. I don't see Jesus doing that. He walks with people, and he listens, and then he explains, like with the disciples that go from, to Emmaus from, from Jerusalem, and he meets them where they are, and he talks with them, and he explains, you know, this is how I look at things, and, and then they invite him to celebrate the Eucharist. It's not Jesus that tells them, okay, it's time for church now. Please sit down and kneel. No, they say, hey, it's getting late. Do you want to eat with us, stay with us a little longer? And then when he's invited by them, then he breaks the bread. And that's when they're like, oh, it's him. The gospel kind of gives us the blueprint of how we should act and how our attitude should be towards others. And if you ever wonder, how should I react to this other person? Ask yourself that simple question. It's, it's a cliche, but it, it's true. What would Jesus do? When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I'm currently um, studying. Um, I, 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 it's one of my goals this year is to to reserve 20 minutes in the morning and one hour, well, yeah, one hour after lunch to study what I want to become good at, expanding my knowledge. And so uh, since this is the year of documentary making, I am learning more about how to make documentaries, how to tell a story. I've shared a little bit about the lessons learned in the last episode of The Extra Mile, which is a, an extra, you could say an extra episode of The Walk that I record for my patrons because they invest in my production of documentaries. Um but I also know that, it, of course, you, that's the best teacher, learn by, through experience and by failing a lot and then trying again. But you also learn thanks to the experience of other people. So I'm currently reading uh, two books. It's, uh, one is by Robert McKee, and it's called Story. It's a classic book about storytelling, and it gives you a real, real good overview of what makes a good story. Um, and then I also am reading a book by Patricia Auderheide, uh, which I think is a German name, Auf der Heide, which means in the meadow. But anyway, you have to pronounce it the English way. So Patricia Auf der Heide. <laughs> and she wrote uh, a documentary film, a very short introduction. If she calls that short, then I, I'm afraid for what she calls a long book. Because it's a, it's, you know, it's a good read, but it's a hefty book. Uh, it's hundreds of pages. But it's a very good introduction to the various different... Um, forms of documentaries and how it gives a lot of examples from existing documentary uh, making and and what that helps me do is to also pick my genre you know what is the type of documentary 
Because I always talked about documentaries. I want to make a documentary. But what actually is a documentary? There's not just one type of documentary. There are very many different ways of telling a story. Um, some of them is just, come along with me. I'm going on this journey and we'll discover together. To, you know, I'm David Attenborough. And today we're going to talk about the, the love life of giraffes. These two giraffes, and it's like super pre-produced and well-written, and then like everything is highly, highly produced. Two totally different genres. We still call them both documentaries. So what I want to figure out by studying the craft, the art of making documentaries, is what suits me best and what is possible within my means and resources. Because, you know, David Attenborough has a slightly bigger budget for his nature documentaries than I have for my little travel documentaries. But, you know, it never hurts to think about what else I could do, given the circumstances. A scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Remember that a few episodes ago I was uh, reviewing this parody movie or satirical movie uh, Don't Look Up about this um, what would happen to humanity if a big asteroid would hit the Earth. I think it's like a 10 kilometer asteroid. Well, actually, some scientists have done all the calculations and have written an article about what you could do to avert the collision or the consequences of a collision with a 10 kilometer uh, sized asteroid. And that is a scary article because it turns out that, yes, it is maybe possible to avert the extinction of mankind if one of those asteroids would ever hit the planet or would be on crash course with, with our planet, which actually is a real possibility. Every year there are some near misses, and near, near miss can still be hundreds of thousands of kilometers but or miles. Um, but still, it has happened before. All the dinosaurs went, or most of the dinosaurs went extinct because of a collision with an asteroid. So, is it possible to do what we saw Bruce Willis do in in uh, Armageddon? Um, actually, no. <laughs> no, the scientists are very clear about that. No, you would need a ton of nuclear weapons. You would need to have months and months in advance in order to launch those weapons uh, to have a chance to break up that asteroid in, into smaller pieces. But even if you manage to break up an, a 10-kilometer asteroid, that mass of all those fragments would still hit the Earth at once, and so the devastation would still be massive. So it doesn't really matter if it's one brick that hits the Earth or a thousand smaller bricks. The effects are going to be very similar. And so... Um, yeah, that was a very unsettling article. And on the other hand, it was very cool. Like, wow, I love science. People are actually able to, to calculate what we should do. And now I'm just hoping that we will be able to spot an asteroid like that in time. Because most of the time, it's like three months in advance. And then you're basically done for. Because that's not enough time for a nuclear attack. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I am so looking forward to the springtime event of Apple. Has it been announced? I don't think so. But um, 
it's very likely that Apple is going to introduce a few more computers. Um, one important one is a bigger um, iMac. You know, the, they, they introduced um, the, the flat screen iMac, like a new revision with all these pastel colors uh, last year. That is a nice computer, but the screen is way too small. Um, and it's also not powerful enough, doesn't have uh, enough. Well, it's actually, it is quite powerful because it's powered by the M1 processor, which, if you, you know, this is, is super uh, fast compared to, you know, Intel based uh, um, uh, chips. But um, it's not a pro machine, it's just a desktop computer. But for my work, I, of course, need something a bit more pro. Um, and I've had uh, one of those bigger iMacs in the past, like 27-inch iMac, and I love the thing, but it was heavy. And once it, you know, a few of the components get get outdated, like the graphics card, there's just no way to replace anything. I think I once paid like a couple of hundred bucks just to add eight, four gigs of memory, or or maybe and now I added an SSD, so it still had a mechanical hard drive which broke, and then I had to. It, they had to basically re-glue the screen to the chassis. It was not a pretty experience. So I'm actually not in the market for those iMacs. I think that for a lot of people, they will be attractive. But I'd rather have something a bit more modular so I can keep my screen. Because usually a screen, that will last. I like the big monitor that I have here on the other table. Um, that will probably last me at least 10 years. Um, which is, for computers, it's it's impossible you know especially in my line of work where you need to have a uh, very fast processing power the computer that i'm currently using for for video editing is five years old it's ancient it's so slow the other day i had to do a re-render of the documentary of the secret of iona and it generated an error which added another hour it took me an hour and the documentary itself is half an hour it took me more than an hour to render it and, that, and I even already pre-rendered a lot of the stuff. So it's not an option in the future if I want to make bigger... Because you always go through iterations. You always have to render it first, and then some people have to look at it, maybe translation and stuff. So it, it, that's adding up over time. Now, the computer that I would like to add here and, and, and replace my old PC, because this is a Windows PC that I'm using is a Mac Mini, but not the current Mac Mini, which is fine. It also has an M1, but it is definitely not a Pro machine. Um, but there are rumors that Apple will introduce a Pro a Mac Mini Pro, which has more ports on it, a number of USB-C ports. Um, and the ports are everything. That's why I have a PC. Uh, I, I'm, I'm currently, um, when I stream, uh, when I record my videos on YouTube, I'm using this ancient 11-inch iMac. Uh, no, Mac, MacBook, MacBook Air. It's, it's one of those 11 inches. They, this one, I think, is more than eight years old. No, actually, I, the other day I looked it up. This one is 10 years old. It's actually quite insane that I can still do HD streaming with it. And if you look at my videos on YouTube, you wouldn't say that this was done with a 10-year-old computer. But, of course, as soon as I open a browser, everything slows down to a crawl. Um but the biggest downside of a laptop, especially Apple laptops, is there are no ports on this thing. I've got two USB-A ports. And I'm, I'm hooking this up to wireless microphones, my Rodecaster. I've got, uh, what is this? Actually, it's I'm running this on, on, on Wi-Fi, which is actually not good for streaming. You want to have a, a wired connection. But there is no Ethernet port on this thing. And 
goes on and on and on and on. Um, I can't hook up a, a regular microphone to this. Head, there is one headphone jack, and it used to be also f- uh, be able to function as a microphone in, and then Apple took that out soft in, in software. Why? I don't know, Apple. So, But the Mac Mini, in, in that respect, is a lot more attractive to me because I can use it to power the, the monitor. Uh, I can do all the editing. And if it has a lot of connections then I can use that as the hub, as the working hub. And I can even dispense with the, with the MacBook Air that I'm currently using for streaming. I do that because I cannot do all these things at once on, on my old PC. It just is not, it's not powerful enough. Um, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to March, and hopefully there will be this uh, Mac Mini Pro. Um, and hopefully it will be affordable because Apple also has you know, inflation and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that these prices are going to be uh, much, much higher than, than previous years. But I know that Apple is also a good investment because it lasts. I mean, still using my MacBook Air. If this had been an Intel-based laptop, it would have been gone eight years ago. Anyway, that's, uh, that's also one of the things I want to let my patrons know this is also what you make possible that over time I can actually get a new computer which will ultimately also benefit the production that you benefit from alright thank you so much for uh, joining me thank you for those of you that have been watching this on uh, on YouTube don't forget to subscribe to the channel and give it a thumbs up and I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments I will see you next week I'm Father Roderick signing off take care may the force be with you and uh, God bless